All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Strength Coach Roundtable. Our last month's roundtable, we talked about strength training uh, specifically for rowing performance, but an often missed training consideration is that it doesn't actually matter how perfect your training or training program is if you aren't healthy enough to display it to your full ability. Uh, so in this episode of the Strength Coach Roundtable, we will be talking about strength training uh, specifically for injury prevention this time. So Blake Gorley and Joe DeLeo are back with me here, and we're going to get right into this. Um, let's go ahead and start with a few examples of injuries that we see in rowers and uh, how strength training can prevent them. Blake, do you want to start? Sure. Um, yeah, I think I think it can can prevent like the majority of of injuries that that even happen. Uh, I do think we need to start and really kind of address the idea that it's not necessarily injury prevention, it's more of injury reduction because injuries do happen. Um, and there's there's definitely many opportunities where you need to go and see a, a medical practitioner as opposed to just a trainer. Um, but I think a lot of it can be reduced from happening in the first place if, if it's made a priority and, and if there's really an effort um, to, to attack uh, injuries. Um, and, and I would say like, Almost every single injury that ends in an itis, um, which tends to be an inflammation like tendonitis or, or bursitis, I think a lot of strength training and, and just being progressive and, and planned and um, just going step by step, I think a lot of those injuries can be um, prevented. Cool. Joe, you got our next one? Sure. So, uh, kind of the the three that come to mind off the bat are, you know, low back, uh, rib, and um, uh, the knee. Uh, those are seem to be some of the more prevalent injuries that that occur in the sport. Um, we can get into the details of each one later, but those are the three that come to mind that that seem to be, uh, you know, the highest risk and, and occur the most. Uh, specifically, like what what would a couple of those be, or what would you be looking for um, with those injuries? In terms of symptoms, uh, yeah, you know, how would you know, or what are some examples of like specific injuries? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, for for rib, I know we're going to talk about low back later, so I'll, I'll kind of defer for that later on. But for the rib, um, it's uh, Typically, what you'll you'll hear an athlete say is they'll they'll feel discomfort um, in the area around the rib. So sometimes behind the, the shoulder blade on the backside, um, depending on where the the uh, injury is occurring, um, they could have a lot of uh, strain of the intercostal muscles. So the muscles that are lining in between the ribs themselves, uh, and it's usually. Um, you know, something that's brought on by a high onset of fatigue. Uh, there's, there's three theories kind of around the, the rib um, that I had the pleasure of going over with, um, you know, both from your article and then also from, from Dr. Jane Thornton. And the long and short of it is, is that there isn't a definitive lockdown cause of why it's happening. There's still theories so that the, uh, the jury is still out as on to why it, exactly happens. Oh, 
Uh, yeah, the rib was one that I got into for uh, when we did the um, first round table and we all did one article on um, different injuries and their preventions. Uh, and yeah, same thing. Found just a ton of variety in terms of both what the possible causes were as well as what people suggested. And it didn't seem like there was a lot of strength training research out there regarding it. Um, I ended up talking with Jane Thorne, who you mentioned, um, who's a rower and doctor and researcher, uh, as well as Anders Vinther, who is, I think, out of um, Denmark and worked with their national team for a while and has done a lot of research in to the rib stress fracture as well, and but not on the strength training side. So I think that that's kind of where we want to go, particularly with this episode today, is talking about what can we do in the gym. Um, and one of the things I think that we'll all talk about a lot is the idea of muscular balance. So rowing, people think that, okay, because it uses your arms and your legs, it's more balanced than other sports. Uh, but actually, you know, if you look at sweep rowing, it's highly rotational, and you get a lot of muscular imbalances that result from that. But even with sculling, uh, you can go your entire sculling career, you know, without ever using your triceps muscles pretty much as there's no pushing component. So what I found with um, looking at this rate at the uh, rib stretch factor stuff um, was looking at that muscular balance that essentially if all of your pulling muscles are highly overdeveloped and you've got an overdeveloped serratus anterior, which is one of the muscles um, that attaches onto the rib cage, then that can put you at risk basically just by virtue of the muscles chronically kind of giving a wrenching effect on the bone structures that it's connected to. So I know I know that that'll tie in with um, a few of our other uh, injuries as well. Will, could you just repeat some of that? Because I, I don't know if the audience missed it, but you uh, you cut out a little bit there during your explanation. I only caught the, the last like sentence or two. Shoot, I'm sorry to hear that. Can you guys hear me okay right now? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Um, I'll give it the short version then that I was talking about the idea of muscular balance and how a lot of people think that the rowing stroke is highly balanced just because it uses your upper body and your lower body, but it so heavily relies on the pulling muscles and therefore the shoulder internal rotators that we can... Uh, prevent, or as Blake mentioned, the difference between prevent and reduce injury, uh, we could reduce the chance of injury um, to a lot of like shoulder and rib and upper body injuries uh, simply by training the muscles that rowing fails to train. Awesome. Thank you. I, uh, I caught a lot more of that. <laughs> All of it <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sorry about that. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. It's, it's in my mind, there's there's really three ways that injuries happen in rowing, and it's it's imbalances. Number one, like you mentioned, it's technique, which obviously everyone's trying to improve every day, and then it's overtraining or, or under recovery. And if you look at the majority of injuries that happen in rowing, um, there are these itis injuries, and they they tend to be related to overtraining um, or under recovery. And a lot of times, it's it's either giving people the opportunity to, to do something different, uh, to work on their weaknesses, or progressively loading them step by step as opposed to just trying to rush into it a little too fast and then the body responding and saying and just pushing back and saying, I'm not ready for this, you need to take a break. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that concept of rest. Uh, 
there are a lot of rowers who I talk to both either online um, and then it's been kind of a breaking in process working with my own team to regularly schedule in rest into their program. So I usually look for like one week of very reduced training load and that could be both the weight room uh, or on the water or both um, one week of reduced training load per like eight to maybe twelve weeks at most uh, but I also talk to a lot of rowers who can't remember the last time that they took a week off. Yeah, I, I feel it. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say the, the same thing. I think that's a it's a great point. Um, I hope we spend a couple minutes talking about this because I, I really think it's important we stress <laughs> how important the, the rest portion is because we're, we're you know we we get caught up in the the numbers game and the split or the you know the the pieces or the session or the PR or whatever but the fact of the matter is is the gains long term are made when you recover and you adapt and um, similar similar to what both of you have just said far too many times am I having conversations where where athletes are not taking any rest at all it's seven days a week um, multiple months on end, sometimes years where they haven't taken a day off. And it's just, it, now you're not even getting into the part of good athletic performance. It's just bad health. And that's my favorite too, is when people are really just beating their head over, you know, like against a wall over it. You go on a rowing forum or something like that and people are talking about, oh, my, my times are stagnated. I can't break through this wall. I'm not getting any better in the gym. And you just ask them, when was the last time you took any time off? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you catch it early enough, uh, and if you build in those rest periods, it doesn't become a problem, and you know you can you can manage it with a day off a week. Um, but if you let it build up over time, it becomes chronic, and then sometimes it takes you know months to years for people to fully recover and actually return to their best. Totally, totally, and and. Again, I just want to stress, like, just so everybody knows, the audience knows, and, and it's clear, this isn't our opinion. This is science. So this is how the human body works, right? You, you stress it. There's, a, there's an adaptation. You actually are physically breaking your body down, and you get weaker, right, when you impose stress or stimulus onto it, whether that's strength training or, you know, the cardiovascular component from rowing. And then when you rest and recover, that's when the strength or the, the speed or the fitness gains improve. So I think it's very important people understand that super compensation curve concept. One of the ways that I build this into uh, my strength training programs, just to bring this back to uh, strength training, is by I use the, the block periodization system, as we talked about before, for training. So I go from basically one... 12 block or sorry 12 week block to the next in between each block I have a two week transition period the first week is very reduced training load so we've just come out of a hard 10 to 12 week training block now we're going to take a week pretty easy and then the next week is going to be half the qualities of the previous block and half the qualities of the next block so that kind of has the effect of ramping athletes into it as well as providing like a structure for block, week off, transition, block, week off, transition. I think a lot of times people just forget about it and it's not it's not purposeful, it's just that they, they don't really think, oh I've just gone from one sport to the next and you know, 
uh, they don't they don't think to program in that rest. Good, Blake. Um, I was just going to say, I, I do something very similar. It's basically, uh, you know, I, I plan three weeks at a time, and then there's a deload week, and then three weeks at a time, and a deload week, um, just to allow three weeks to stress and then one week to recover. Um, I, I feel like that's a pretty simple and easy way for, for almost anyone to, to plan out their strength training. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that depends on how hard you're pushing, too. If you're really going hard for three weeks, then, yeah, you're going to need that week off more frequently. If your training is a little bit more moderate, uh, then you can probably push that to the 8 to 12 range, depending on how your training is. Totally. I think that's a great point. And another concept or, or way to periodize the training is um, a concept called like waving the load. So basically what you do is instead of having that structured, you know, three weeks on, then you take a deload week, what you're doing throughout each week is varying um, the the weight as well as the, the volume you're doing throughout the week. So, you know, for example, if you're doing, um, we'll use body weight training because that's what I've done most recently. So if you're doing like body weight training, if you're training for like a one-arm push-up, on the day that you're doing a one-arm push-up, you'll be very, very low reps. You might do maybe a total of, you know, three to five throughout the entire day. And then on another day, you might be doing a regression of that where you're doing uh, elevated, you know, one-arm push-up, and you might be doing something in the 10 to 15 range. Um, and then an easy day might be you're doing, you know, one-arm planks. So you can sort of manipulate other factors as well as, you know, just the, uh, the weight on the bar or the dumbbell or kettlebell. To um, to also kind of periodize the training too. Yeah, good, good point. Um, all right. So unless you guys have anything else to add on to that, I, th I think that uh, one of the issues that I've seen come up is that rowers are hesitant to start strength training because they're worried about getting hurt actually from lifting. So they're kind of throwing you know the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh well, I had a friend who got hurt once and I'm worried about getting hurt too. Uh, how can we prevent this both from like how can rowers prevent the risk of getting hurt from lifting because there is that risk as well as how can we as strength coaches make sure that we're keeping athletes healthy uh, in the weight room? Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the things that one of my mentors mentioned all the time was, you know, you want, you want to start slow to fast. Um, you want to start varied and move to specific, um, and you want to start simple and move to complex. And and I feel like a lot of times when people don't necessarily know a lot about strength training, they just they do what looks cool, um, and that tends to be the the fast, complex, uh, specific exercises, um, and then they tend to get hurt. And I think that's where that statistic kind of shows up, where it makes strength strength training look dangerous. Um, and I really think the, the best thing you can do is um, reach out, find a professional, get an assessment. Uh, if you can't do that, um, just do what you do what you understand. Um, start slow with it, build into it progressively, and, and just continue to challenge yourself uh, a little bit uh, a little bit more each week. 
I think it's a hard sell for a lot of uh, workaholic rowers, but you know, it's it's kind of the same idea of like you don't do a two K test uh, in your first week of rowing training. You know, so I I definitely agree with that on the uh, progression side. You know, one of the other big factors too is like um, you know as we're aging, right? We're losing bone mineral density. I mean, strength training is one of the things that can really combat that. Um, and so it's not just a performance side, but you're talking about longevity, sustainability, and health too. Um, you know, so as you age, the higher proclivity to like fall and break your leg or your pelvis, that type of thing increases. Um, so having that, you know, tolerance and that, uh, tissue capacity build up through strength training is going to add benefits sort of that cross over into multiple areas. There's a powerlifting strength coach named Chris Duffin uh, who has a word that I really like for that, which is anti-fragile training. Basically making your body more durable against stress. That's ultimately a lot of what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to stress and break down the body to rebuild it so that it's stronger, more resilient, and it can withstand either a you know, higher training volume or greater intensity or both. You know, and so that's that's what we're that's what we're going for, you know, I think all of us would agree where that's what we're going for in the uh, in the strength training room. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that one thing too is that there are a lot of misconceptions about strength training. Um, just a few off the top of my head is that it's all about the max. Uh, with my college men's club team, we don't we don't do one rep maxes ever. I've had I've had one athlete in the four years that I've been coaching with them do a one rep max and it was after the season ended over summer because he wanted to and I supervised him through the whole thing. We'll use like a three or a five rep max, but I think that just avoiding maximal loading, it doesn't really have that much of an effect on rowing uh, ability anyway, as long as you're still building strength. Um, and you can basically just avoid a possibility of injury uh, by by sticking to more sub-maximal loads and thinking about, you know, you're a rower, not a powerlifter. So if it's not helping you in the boat, then there's no point to throwing a bunch of more uh, weight on the bar. Yeah, ex excellent points. Um, and you know, another thing I just I thought of in terms of you know some of the concerns or worries that you know rowers and coaches have is they might you know they might get injured doing strength training. Reiterating what Blake said is make sure you're working with somebody that's you know qualified through certification, has been doing it, has some good experience, is going to evaluate you before you get started. Um, and be patient with it. You know, you need to take your time and, and realize that there's a lot of nuance and technique involved with a lot of these lifts. Uh, I think that's sort of lost uh, on the surface, um, but they're they're highly proficient um, when you see people do complex movements and they've been practicing for a long time, um, probably with a lot less weight than you might be seeing on the. Uh, YouTube video that's garnering millions of hits. Yep. Are there any exercises that, that are on your ban list in the weight room that you that you don't use because of their 
uh, you know, they're too high risk? Do you see them as injury causing? Um, I don't do anything with uh, like the traditional bench pull. Um, I did it in college when I was rowing, but I've you know been around and seen teammates um, literally break ribs from doing that that exercise. Um, I know it's has a uh, I guess strong you know traditional um, roots in the sport from from some older coaches, but I haven't really ever seen great carryover into how that helps. Um, athletes in rowing at all. So that one's probably at the top of my list. Uh, I don't like to use heavy back squats. Um, part of that probably has to do with, with some of the mentors that I've had, but um, I, I feel like a lot of rowers, at least that I've had opportunities to work with, they just aren't good squatters. And then if you're loading their spine um, on their back with a, with a heavy barbell, um, it's just kind of an added stress that I don't, I don't see much of a benefit to, um, so I load them in different ways. So, um, like I'll I'll do a goblet squat in place of a, a back squat, and then I'll get into some heavier single leg work, um, and then to to take the place for for really loading the body under under a heavy load, um, I'll do different uh, variations of carries. So like a farmer's carry. So you get two dumbbells or um, yeah, that would be the easiest. Grab two dumbbells and you go for a walk with it, and you just try to act like you're not carrying anything. Yeah, I know we've talked about this off air, so I won't rant on it for too long. But Joe, totally agree with you on the bench pull. Um, it's just such a risky one. There's too high of a risk of rib stress fractures in rowing anyway. So then you're piling it on in the stress department by. Uh, really loading the rib directly just through pressure with the bench. Um, I think one interesting thing on that is that uh, at the US rowing certification course that I did, Bob Ernst was a, a guest instructor there um, and he mentioned that he had done, I think he said it was you know a thesis project or something like that at some point where he looked into what the indicator is for a high performing rower so is it the 2K test? Is it the 500 meter row? Is it the the 10 stroke for watts? You know what what is the test that has the highest predictor of future rowing ability? And according to him, I didn't see the research, but according to him, it was actually the bench pull. And he says that that's because upper body strength is so necessary, and on and on. But I think that that's a great example of an indicator that the risk of doing it is not worth the knowledge that you gain as a result of it. So yes, they might very well be something that applies or that has carryover or I don't know exactly how to phrase that, but um, but in doing so you expose yourself to such a great risk that you could just as easily land yourself you know, riding the coaching launch for two weeks um, as much as you would being a great rower. Yeah, totally. I, I, I just don't I don't see the, the benefits from it. I mean, I, I get when people look at that exercise, they're like, oh, okay. We're, we're kind of, you know, mimicking that last part of the drive where we're coming through with the arms. But you got to think about what is what is inherently happening inside the body when that athlete is across a bench and they're pulling a barbell from the floor to the, to the bench underneath. So a lot of times... I, when I I recall 
you know, myself doing it back then and then watching teammates doing it and then seeing it again is that athlete will actually go into um, extension. So they're flexing through their spine. And now we're adding or we're asking them to to lift the load off the ground. So now we're we're plating placing greater stress on the body. And most most of the time they're you know just going to to fit, pass fatigue into failure. So I, I just I don't see a lot of inherent benefit to that that exercise. Yeah, Joe, I was actually going to say like my biggest problem with with bench rows is is the technique. I, I think if you if you drop the weight and if you went a little slower and and you know kept the butt and the belly tight like that would that would change a lot about it. Um, like bat wings, for example, I know some of you guys use them. Um, bat wings are similar in terms of like your chest down and you're squeezing, but it's it's a very different amount of load, and you're not throwing your weight around, and you're not um, doing everything you can to make sure that the bar touches and your rep counts. And it's not a max. That's the other thing too, is that I can't believe that there are are programs that use it as a max indicator, and with particularly with rowers who are such hard workers naturally. If you tell them it's a max, they're gonna PR, right? Just through sheer willpower alone. Uh, so yeah, you're just increasing that exposure then by not only picking a flawed exercise, but then loading it really, really heavy and getting them in uh, a PR mindset. All right, so I, I promised beforehand that we wouldn't rant on that for too long. Um, so I'll, I'll mention one more misconception, uh, which is Blake. You mentioned not using back squats. I tend to use the front squat. Uh, or the single leg squat as well, uh, but I think that squat depth is a big misconception. Um, that there's actually higher shear forces on the knees, and therefore greater injury risk with above parallel squats than there are with deep squats. The other thing too is if you don't have the mobility to deep squat, you probably are also lacking mobility when you come around uh, to the catch in the rowing stroke. So it's one of those things where it's both an indicator of uh, mobility failure and also uh, greater injury risk by cutting the lift high and only going above parallel. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, you can, if you possess the requisite mobility and can demonstrate the control to go through a full range of motion, then yeah, you can squat deep. But it's exactly like you said, you get into trouble when you don't possess those prerequisites and you're asking your body to, you know, access a range of motion it's not yet capable of or hasn't accessed in a very long time, and then you add load to it, yeah, bad things are going to happen. Cool. All right. Well, if we don't have anything else to add in terms of uh, avoiding injury in the weight room, um, I know that one thing that uh, we said we were going to talk about is uh, Blake's back injury. Um, so Blake, I know we've talked off air about this, but you want to tell us your uh, personal story with the back injury? Yeah. Um, so I rode, I rode four years in high school, started my freshman year, um, ended up getting, getting recruited to college, and uh, my first year, first semester at college, um, I, I didn't have any back issues, or at least that I knew. Um, and my coach decided to switch sides to give me up more opportunities to, to get in the top boat. Um, and there was just, there was just one day where my, 
my low back was just on fire and um, a ton of pain and it felt similar to what I'd felt before in terms of like it just felt like a really hard workout and I'm sure all rowers have felt where their their backs just burnt from a, a long time on the water um, and that's what I thought it was and then it, it just it stayed like that um, and it hurt in everything I did like I, I couldn't lay down without pain I couldn't I couldn't walk I couldn't sit like every single thing I did was was painful um, <clears throat> And so I rested for a while, and eventually it went away, and I, I was really excited. And uh, my coach eased me back into it, and he said, you know, why don't you, why don't you try warming up on the erg? Um, and I ended up having to crawl off the erg <laughs> after that, and it, it came back. And um, long story short, I basically spent three months um, going to different doctors, and um, they eventually found out that I had two herniated discs, discs and I had a... Uh, uh, stress fractures on both sides of my uh, one of my vertebrae, so it could actually slip out of alignment. Um, Brutal. And <laughs> yeah, I've, I mean, un unfortunately, it's something you live with, uh, and I've learned how to manage it. Um, but it is, it is what made me, you know, so passionate about this, and it, it's the reason why I'm trying to make uh, people learn from my mistakes. And uh, you know, I wish there was more available when I was rowing uh, like I didn't even know what a foam roller was like I didn't I didn't know what good strength training was um, I didn't know about recovery um, so I mean I, I think it's really important to do what we can and and use what we've learned to to make sure we can stop as much as we can from happening yeah, I mean it's uh it's the Tommy John injury of baseball. It's you know the ACL tear of football. Like every sport kind of has the the injury that that they're notorious for. Um, but I think that we just see it in rowing so much, particularly with like the tall, promising high school recruit kind of guy go, goes to college and then something like that happens. I mean, did did you ever figure out why it was or what the what the root cause was, or was it just the switching sides combined with other factors? I mean, now that I know more than I, I did, my my best guess would be, you know, my body wasn't prepared for that. I didn't have the mobility to, um, to rotate to the right as opposed to the left, um, and I I don't I don't think I had the strength for it. Um, I also looked at some of some of the older pictures of me rowing and. You know, I, I rode with a, a spine that was very C-shaped. Um, and if you look at all, basically all back injury research, um, it says, you know, flexion, uh, so bending forward, bending sideways, and rotating, which is basically the catch position. <laughs> they all say that that's the most dangerous position to be in. Um, so eventually, like, there's going to be a breakdown unless you do what you can to minimize that stress. And so at what point in your career did you come around to strength training? Um, I actually started personal training just kind of as like a side gig to coaching, just like a, a stepping stone along the way. Um, and then I ran into, you know, Mike Boyle and um, some other mentors that, that kind of showed me that you can do a lot more with strength training than, than I ever thought. And so now... Uh, what in particular do you do with your athletes to kind of try to prevent it from happening again? 
Yeah, so a big thing for me is, is hip function, so making sure they have mobility in the hips, which means they'll, they'll use their lumbar spine less, um, making sure they have strength in the hips, um, making sure they have T-spine mobility, uh, so they're, they're taking stress off the lumbar spine as they, they rotate and, and side bend, um, and then really strengthening the core to, to resist motion as opposed to produce motion. That's interesting. What what kind of exercises uh, for that last category in particular? Um, so anti-rotation holds, and then I have uh, kind of different variations of that. Um, you know, you you can do you know basic planks, side planks, um, and then you can do different different carries as well. Cool. We'll make sure to put up um, links in the recap of this to some of those as I'm sure that uh, some of our listeners are interested in preventing the injury as well uh, for themselves. Um, yeah, I don't know. Joe, do you have any questions there? Uh, I don't have any questions. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks to Blake for, for sharing and um, his story and background and with, the, with the injury and perspective and stuff. I was just curious in terms of um, is there any, you know, what are some of your go-to you know, T-spine and hip mobility uh, exercises that, that you uh, use? Um, it, it's all, it all kind of progresses, but um, I, I do this hip flow where I combined uh, a Spider-Man stretch uh, with the world's greatest stretch with a pigeon stretch. Um, so that, that would be my go-to for, for loosening up the hips. Um, I also uh, do a few other things that are pretty hard to explain but it's it's in the FRC world and um, basically doing controlled um, circles with the hip joint um, uh, almost like manual therapy like someone's walking you through those or are you doing them under your own power no you're doing them under your own power uh, it's hard to explain we have to show you a video of that are you are you shooting more videos yet yeah, I just need. I have a bunch of them done. I just need to get around to actually editing them. All right. Well, tweet <laughs> tweet at Blake Gorley if you wanted to get on his horse and start doing that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I didn't touch on T spine. Um, T spine. I mean, you can do a basic roll over the the roller. Um, you can you can use a peanut. So two tennis balls uh, taped together. Um, I like rib grabs. Um, where you kind of lay on your back and you use your breath and you work on rotating the opposite shoulder to the ground, um, uh, incorporating rotation in, in different stretches. Um, yeah, that's that's where I get most of it. Nice. Awesome. Um, I think it's interesting how you came back to rest and that so many rowers are so reluctant to take time off when they're injured. Uh, I mean, it's not only important to keep you healthy, but once you are injured, sometimes you just need to take two or three or however many weeks off that it takes to get you healthy again. Um, I don't know. I mean, did you feel rushed at all in your in your path back? Because that's that's definitely something I see a lot. Um, I didn't feel rushed, and one one of the things I didn't touch on though was like the mental side of of being injured. Um, and it had nothing to do with my coaches. It had nothing to do with my teammates. But I, I felt like I was letting them down, um, and that was one of the harder parts. 
um, I don't feel like my coach rushed me back to, you know, to row as fast as I could. Um, I don't, I don't feel like he like put me in danger's way by, you know, putting me back in the boat, like, and saying to go full pressure and he didn't do that, which was, which was great. Um, but obviously like when you're in a team sport for that long, like you, you feel like you're letting everyone else down. So you're kind of rushing yourself. Yeah, I think it's often not the coach that's pushing the athlete as much as it is the athlete pushing themselves uh, or disguising when they're injured or saying they're fine when they're not or something else like that. It's really hard you know, when you're a coach and you've got 30-plus rowers out there. You can't possibly be monitoring how each and every one of them accurately feels. Um, and it's, it's a hard sell to get the athlete to, to not feel uh, like you felt. Yeah, and I do feel like you know whether or not it really doesn't matter how much you know, as long as you like make it a priority to to keep athletes healthy and you know take steps to do whatever you know at that point in time. Um, you're only going to learn from it. You're only going to get better, and your team's only going to be healthier. Um, but especially working with younger kids, so I work mostly with high school kids. I I kind of feel a responsibility to to look after them and to think about their future. Um, because when you're in that position and you're young and you're strong, like you, you think you're invincible, uh, and you do not think about your future. So if, if no one else thinks about it, uh, like there's no one thinking about your future and then you could have a career ending, career ending injury that's, that might affect you the rest of your life. That's a great point for sure. Uh, oh shoot, I had something I forgot what it was. Hmm. Joe, you got anything? Um, besides the, the mobility, is there any other you know, tips or prevention strategies um, athletes should be aware of uh, specifically, specifically around low back? Um, to be honest, I think, I think the biggest thing for everyone, uh, for all injuries, is really stepping back and looking at the bigger picture and um, making sure you're looking at everyone in, as an individual. So, like, if, if you don't have assessments in place, that's fine. Um, if if you want to do it at the most simple level, every single day, just go around and ask every single one of your athletes, how are you today? How are you feeling? Are you sore? Oh, you're sore? Where are you sore? Um, and, you know, at first they think it's really weird, <laughs> and at first they won't really tell you anything. Um, but eventually they'll realize you care and you're actually trying to see what's going on with them. And, you know, sometimes they'll have something that you can prevent uh, that day because you found it early. You know, maybe someone's left side of their back started hurting. Um, you know, give them a day off, give them, give them some, uh, some rolling and stretching to do, um, target that area. Um, and it might not be a problem in the future, but if you let it go on for too long, um, I think that's where it becomes a problem. Yeah, I remembered what I was going to ask, which was what are some of those red flags that you look for uh, in terms of like the low back injury specifically? Um, typically, when they, they point at their low back and it's, it's basically like... Um, one side or the other, and it's and it's on the bone as opposed to, you know, both sides and on the muscles. Uh, you know, because a lot of times people are 
people are going to be sore on the erectors and the muscles that, that run along your low back. Um, a lot of times you'll be sore because you're using them, especially when you're building into it. Um, but when it's asymmetrical um, and when it's more towards the bone um, and when it's something that's, that's kind of lasting um, and, and less muscular, that's concerning to me. Good point. Yeah, the lasting thing is big because uh, with a lot of the low back soreness or injuries that I see, the, the difference between the two is that you can kind of stretch and massage soreness away, but the injury tends to, it's either a very temporary relief uh, or it's not a relief at all, and then that's, that's kind of when I start to get concerned. All right, well, if you guys don't have anything else to add, um, we got a reader question uh, from Susie who has some sort of sciatic nerve problem um, causing, tum ca causing numbness and pain, specifically from rowing. She doesn't get any symptoms uh, when she does any cross-training, and her physical therapist says that she has good hamstring, quad, and glute strength uh, and no structural signs of injury like a muscle tear. Uh, Joe, I know we talked a little bit about this, but you've got some experience with the sciatic nerve stuff? Yeah, I've uh, had some some athletes and clients that have experienced that. Um, so the first, the first thing that I would ask or I would look at a try to either see in person or a video of watching that that person row and make sure that they're positioned correctly on the seat. So you want to make sure you're sitting on your sit bones, which is going to allow you to uh, hinge through the hips. If you're sitting on your pelvis in a manner where your, your hips are tucked underneath of you and you're on uh, either your hamstring or your sacrum, you, you could be applying pressure directly um, onto that tissue, which is then going to hit that nerve. So that's, that's the first thing. So make sure you're getting proper alignment. The, the second thing is uh, you need to look at sort of other outside factors. So if this person has a occupation where they're sitting a lot, um, the tissues around the hips are going to probably be pretty tight and restricted. Uh, they're going to get a lot of that from rowing in and of itself. Um, so making sure that the, you know, the external hip rotators like the glute med they have the ability to uh, be loose and relaxed. So they might need to do some manual therapy, work with a massage therapist or a physical therapist and, and have those muscles released. Um, doing stretches like elevated pigeon stretch uh, is good. Uh, you might need to use a lacrosse ball, uh, loosen that area up. And then progressing to exercises like um, the tactical frog, opening up the hips, um, and then see if that I would you know try try rowing and see if it elicits the same response. If it gets better, you know you have some soft tissue restrictions that are that are um, clamping down onto that nerve, um, and you need to continue to work on that. If it doesn't get better, then you're going to need to probably have somebody further evaluate you and look at how you're how you're executing during the rowing stroke. I think it's funny. We'll talk about uh, rest again because in the second part of her question here, she says her leg goes completely numb after about 
10 kilometers, but she doesn't want to take any time off uh, from rowing. So, Susie, take a break. <laughs> Some, sometimes you just need to heal first, then start start working on all the all that other stuff that Joe just listed off. Yeah, um, Joe mentioned it as well, but it, it's also important to, you know, even though you're seeing a physical therapist currently, um, they may be they may be great, but they may not completely understand the injury, and you may need to get a second opinion and and find someone else that may have a better idea because they may just be missing something um, that stretching and strength training might not be able to address and, and that particular therapist might not be able to address. Good point. Yeah, that's not necessarily anything bad about the physical therapist. It's just that you can only have so many experiences with so many sports um, that there's definitely not you know one good one for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Do you no, no, no. want to circle back to or injury-wise come back around on? Uh, not, not, nothing that comes to mind at the moment. I'm pretty good. Uh, the The only thing I would say is, yeah, I think it's it's always a good idea to get um, you know multiple views. If the, if you're continuing to struggle with an injury and it's not going away, definitely seek. Uh, you know, second or third opinion if necessary, um, because you've got to identify and address the root cause of the issue. Um, yeah, and I think it's important to note that the the body is this beautiful creation, um, and it's not that it's malfunctioning and you know it, it's just not doing its job and it's in pain. That that's not how the body works. The the body is triggering triggering pain to tell you to do something. Um, and that might be rest, that might be finding a physical therapist, um, but it's it's triggering you to take care of the injury as opposed to continuing to press until you break yourself down even more. Hey, one thing that we didn't talk about was uh, like special populations, so you know, youth or masters, kind of anything out of like the conventional uh, rowers. Um, I know, like, for youths, one of the main misconceptions about strength training is that, uh, you know, it's bad for your joints or it'll stunt your growth. Um, that kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of it not being uh, safely instructed in the first place or supervised. You know, you can't, you can't teach some 12-year-olds how to do something once and then expect to be able to do it reliably and progressively, uh, let alone under load. Um, so safe instruction really comes back to that. And then the other thing, too, is that there's much less compressive forces put on joints through strength training than there is through running or jumping or doing anything else. Um, so I feel like that's a big misconception. But do you guys have anything that you would do specifically uh, or injury prevention considerations specifically with masters or youth rowers? Yes. Um, so a couple things. For, for the master specifically, they need to make sure that they're maintaining a pretty good range of motion uh, you know, through, the, through the joints you're going to be utilizing in the rowing stroke. So ankle, hip, thoracic spine. So if you're spending a lot of time at a desk job, you're pretty much going to be glued down for 8 to 10 hours a day. So you add 
15, 20 years to that, that is going to definitely um, change some of your posture. Um, so that'll have a big effect on your ability to not only move through the rowing stroke, but move outside of rowing as well. The same thing with, with high school athletes. Um, they need to demonstrate the, the requisite mobility, but what I see more from them is uh, the, the, the ability or the inability to demonstrate control. Uh, so meaning they'll have tissue restrictions because they don't have the, the core strength or the reflexive stability inside. So the deep core musculature is not working. They're not diaphragmatically breathing, so they're not able to uh, create 360 degrees of uh, spinal stiffness. And so it just goes back to proximal stability for distal mobility, and they don't have it. So as a, as a result, <laughs> the body goes into survival mode, and it will uh, create stiffness as a safety mechanism to prevent injury or from falling. It's cool to see the uh, from the sports psych side tie into breathing as well that you can teach a lot of um, you know keeping cool under pressure basically just through breathing as well that if you're if you're not breathing well one you're gonna have the the risk of injury and stuff that you just mentioned but the other two is you're gonna start feeling frantic once you get 700 1200 1500 meters in uh, and there's a lot of like anxiety reducing stuff that you could do through learning how to breathe properly as well. That's a really good and interesting point, and I, I would echo everything that, that Joe said. I, I agree. Everyone needs mobility, and as you get into master's rowers, it's, it's going to be more of a, a fight to maintain as opposed to, to improve, um, but youth athletes need the same thing. Um, and, and, I mean, Joe explained it well, so I don't need to add to it, but I actually have been playing, with, playing around with breathing recently with, with high rate monitors and, and teaching my athletes to, you know, work hard and then see how fast you can recover by using your breath. Um, and I think that that's a really huge tool. Um, you know, everyone gets to the starting line and they're extremely stressed out and it's okay to be a little stressed, but if you're too stressed, you, you're, you're going to have a frantic start and it's, it's going to screw up the first couple strokes. Um, and the whole race is, is a struggle if, if you don't control your breathing. I've never heard of a relaxation contest before, but I like it. <laughs> I, uh, I went through the uh, Bioforce conditioning course recently uh, with Joel Jamison, and he, he was talking about um, using heart rate to, to teach people how to recover. And it, it's pretty interesting when you put, in it, put it in front of them because you would think, and, and most of the time it is pretty hard to teach um, athletes to focus on their breathing because they just think it's silly. Uh, but if you give them numbers and they see their own numbers and they're competing against others, um, they actually get into it. Yeah, for sure. I like it. Um, any other special considerations for injury prevention? I know there's, there's other categories of athletes that we could talk about. I think one interesting one, uh, is adaptive rowers having a higher risk of rib stress fracture? 
kind of gets back to you know you're overloading the upper body, uh, so making sure to incorporate um, some extra upper body training depending on what your abilities are uh, to get back to that muscular balance. I, I didn't I hadn't really thought about it before I started really digging into all the rib stretch fracture stuff, but uh, it absolutely makes sense since the upper body peak forces are so much higher um, in adaptive rubbers anyway. So I, I don't um, have any experience or uh, research I've done on the adaptive side, but the, the final comment I would make on, on injury prevention um, is learn how to hip hinge and make sure you do that in the rowing stroke. Um, you pick things up a lot more in life than you probably are aware of or even give, um, give thought to, um, especially in daily life. You know, going to your car, picking up groceries, kids, uh, moving stuff around the house, that type of thing. It's very, very clear uh, in the research. Um, just look up McGill. Uh, moving through the hips versus spinal flexion is spine sparing. Um, so you greatly mitigate risk of a low back injury by moving through the hips. So think about that every time you go to put the boat into the water next to the dock. Yeah, one of the biggest things that we teach is is how to pick up with a with a stable spine as opposed to picking things up with a rounded spine. Um, and that's that's where hip mobility comes in too. Is if if you don't have the hip mobility, you, you just can't hinge to the extent you have to to hinge at. And that comes back to uh, you know the dangers of back injuries if 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 you're rounding your low back all the time, you're much more likely to, to injure it. All right, well, I think that we can wrap up there then. I'll have um, Blake, why don't you go first, if you could just tell us uh, where we can read more about you or find more about you on social media or ask you any follow-up questions, uh, and then Joe after that. Sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Blake Orlay. Um, and you can find me at my website, rowingstrength.com. Um, my website's uh, leotraining.io, and you can find uh, same, same name, Leo Training, on Facebook, and Instagram handle is Leo Training. All right, and I am at strengthcoachwill.com or at willruth335 uh, on Twitter. So thanks to uh, Row Perfect for letting us uh, run the podcast on here, and thanks to you guys for joining me. Uh, we will do a recap of this, so I'll hit you both up afterwards for links and everything so that we can put up videos to what we've talked about. And uh, please, if you're listening to this, uh, let us know what you think or if you have any more questions. Thank you, everyone.